Good morning. I hope everyone is doing well today. It's a beautiful day. I love, um, I don't know, I love Sundays. I love church. love all you guys, and it's been great meeting you over the past few months. Uh, Pastor Jeff went easy on me today because he only gave me one service, and he told me I had to be done by one o'clock. So <laughs> if you're a visitor, I am not. Uh, I'm not on the staff at Parkway. Uh, we haven't joined quite yet. It's coming, but... Um, uh, but I am not the normal guy, so, so welcome, though. It's great to have you if you're joining us for the first time or if you're a return visitor. And if you didn't fill out the connection card yet, I'm going to invite you to do that again. And uh, I'm talking a little fast because I'm nervous, and I'll get there, right? I didn't know where to go this morning with the message. And Pastor Jeff or Brother Jeff uh, asked me uh, to speak. I said, well, what do you want me to speak on? And he said, I don't know, whatever you want. That's the worst thing you could tell me, right? I said, well, can you be more specific? He says, I don't know, what's a chaplain? Like, you know, uh, it's God and Country Sunday, or tell your testimony. And I said, okay, I'll just do all three. And so we're kind of, we're kind of getting there. Thankfully, uh, Pastor Jeff talks quickly. I don't, I don't know, like, like, he's not a fast talker, but he talks quickly. And he, he gets, I mean, he, he covers a lot of ground on a Sunday morning. It's one of the things that attracted me and my family to this church. And he, he preaches from Scripture, and, uh, but you're used to listening fast. So I'm going to ask you to listen fast this morning as we go through some things. And uh, I'm going to start with a question. What are the two things you don't talk about at dinner? Politics and religion, right? And uh, that's interesting because as a chaplain, uh, here I am, a religious professional paid for by taxpayer dollars. <laughs> right? So uh, it gets to be a lot of fun at my house uh, at dinner time or, or wherever I am with whatever. And uh, I'm a little biased, but I'll say that I feel that there's no greater uh, service in the military than being a chaplain because I get to serve those who serve. And I'm a little more biased in saying that I enjoy the Navy because I get to play with the Navy, uh, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, and pretty much anybody else that's in DOD. But I'm going to get to that in a minute and talk to you a little bit about that as we go. Uh, we were talking this morning about God and country and, uh, and what that looks like. Now, the, the interesting thing is on God and country is that's actually the motto of the Army Chaplain Corps. Uh, it, the Army Chaplain Corps' motto is Pro Deo et Patria, and I'm probably mispronouncing my Latin, and that's okay, but it stands for Forgotten Country, and so they kind of get points on that one as far as the tie-in. Uh, but in the Navy, our motto is uh, Vocati ad Servitium. means called to serve, that, that we are called to serve those who serve. And I threw the Air Force up there for good measure. Uh, theirs is freedom, faith, and ministry, and I love my Air Force bubbas, don't get me wrong. I always say the smart people go to the Air Force. Uh, but you'll see, you know, kinda, I kind of broke it down as to who serves who. Army serves the Army. Air Force serves the Air Force and the Space Force, those chaplains. And Navy chaplains, uh, we have, I would call it a privilege, to serve the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, the Merchant Marines, so all of the sea services. So my uniform closet, yeah, it's quite a move. It's like, which uniform am I taking this weekend? Like, and what are we doing? And where are we going? And so it's kind of fun. But in Department of Defense, uh, there's about 2,900 chaplains total. Uh, and so, so we serve across a variety. We represent roughly 200 denominations of faith groups of different types. And to be a chaplain, uh, you have to have a master's of divinity. You have to have two years of a senior pastor experience of some sort. And you have to have an endorsing agent. And that just means someone that agrees to let you represent them as a faith group. And so my endorsing agent is actually the North American Mission Board. So I am considered by, uh, to be a Southern Baptist missionary to the military or an ambassador on the behalf to, to, to work with them 
and to take faith. And our job as a chaplain, and I'm going to get into specifics in a minute, but we want to ensure that the constitutionality uh, of, of religious freedom is met for our service members. You know, on Sunday morning, you guys have a choice. You can get up and go to church. You can go to another church. You can go wherever you want to. But if you're in the middle of the ocean, you don't just get to get up and go to church uh, very easily or in the middle of the desert. And so in order to make sure that is provided for our service members as citizens of our country, uh, we have chaplains that are there to make sure their religious needs are met and to, and to protect those liberties and the things that we do. And so we're, we're ensuring the constitutionality of that. Now, the term chaplain is very interesting. Uh, it comes from a, from a very old uh, story of a dude named St. Martin of Tours. And uh, St. Martin of Tours, he, had half his, he, he was going along the street, and there was a beggar that was poorly dressed. And he took his cape or his capa or his capella, and he cut it in half and gave it to the beggar. And then he continued on his way. And later, in a dream, the beggar came to him. And, uh, and the idea is that that was a Christ, or he had entertained a ministry or Christ in some sort. And so the other half of his cape that he kept became used by the kings of France that they would take into battle. They enshrined it in a tent. And they actually took it with them. And the people, the keepers of the cape, were called the Capellani, which sounds a lot like the Illuminati, but we're not going to go there at the moment. <laughs> but as you can guess, uh, that translates to chaplain. And, uh, and chaplains have done a lot over the years. They instituted like some of the service academies. They, they were the original uh, instructors on a lot of the ships to midshipmen in different ways. Uh, but the, the term means to be with the people. It means to be there in it. And, you know, I often get asked the question, what's the difference between a pastor and a chaplain? And the reality is not much. It's kind of like a square and a rectangle in some ways. Uh, a pastor is a religious professional and usually in a religious setting. And a chaplain is a religious professional, usually in a non-religious setting. Uh, we, are, we are with the people out and about in what we do. And uh, we do a lot of on-the-fly counseling. I get asked a lot of questions. I, my favorite question is when someone throws at me, well, if God's good and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? And I just go, oh, I've never heard that one before. But usually I have a way to, you know, to, to engage in a conversation. And sometimes being with people means just sitting with them. It means just serving them. It means just listening. And I, I've got a little, a little funny up here that I, I wanted to bring to you this morning. Uh, it's my depiction of chaplaincy as short as I can make it. <laughs> says, uh, to be honest, chaplain, I was hoping for a little more from you than that's messed up. But I got to tell you, there are times when people come into my office and my only response is, whew, you messed up. I mean, no, 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 that's messed up, right? And, and just sitting with them through that uh, becomes the escape valve. And one thing about Navy, our military chaplains, DOD chaplains, a lot of people don't realize is, we have 100% confidentiality, which means I am not a mandated reporter on anything. The only person who has the same level of confidentiality is a priest in confession. And that is the escape, like pressure relief for service members when they come to us, that they can come and tell me anything, something they've done, something they're thinking of doing, some thoughts that they're having, something they've seen. And I am the one person in that unit that can actually help them without raising a bunch of flags or doing mandated reporting. Now, typically, uh, I have a very good track record. If they come to me and tell me I'm having thoughts of suicide or I'm, or I'm having thoughts of homicide or anything in between, uh, typically I can work with them and I get them, I get them to better, not better help, um, I get them into official channels at some point. But the way that I do that is I go with them. I walk alongside them. I serve and, and try and help them and provide comfort to them. And it works really, really well. Uh, we know that there's a 60% increase if someone comes to a chaplain first, that they'll actually go seek professional help 
then opposed to if they don't. So we've got, we've got numbers that show that sort of thing as far as what chaplains do. So uh, what do chaplains do? Let, let's talk about that specifically. And I, I know I talked briefly, but I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's been two decades, right? But it, the Navy, um, we, we kind of do it in, in four main categories that we do. And the first thing that chaplains do is they provide care to all. Now, what that means is that it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter our differences. If you come to me for help, I will help you to the best of my ability. And this is one that I take very seriously. Typically, chaplains are very well received. People are happy to see us. We're kind of happy-go-lucky, you know, play guitar, drink coffee, that kind of stuff. And people are like, that's not fair. And I'm like, choose your rate, choose your fate. So <laughs> rate's a Navy term for choose your profession. So I'm like, you know, I chose, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, but care for all. The second thing we do is we provide for our own. And this provision is actually very constitutional in nature because it says that as a Southern Baptist minister, my job is to provide Southern Baptist services to other Southern Baptist service members. I could not say that five times really fast. I provide Southern Baptist services to Southern Baptist service members. That's what it comes down to, right? I don't provide Catholic mass to Catholics. I don't provide Muslim services or Jewish services. I provide Christian evangelical services to service members who come to me for stuff. That's what they pay me for. Now, the second thing that they pay me for that's really close in that constitutional thing is facilitation. So I facilitate for others, which means if you come to me and you say, hey, you know, chaplain, appreciate you, but I'm Catholic and I need, like, you know, a priest, I don't go, oh, well, let me put my priest hat on. That's, 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 that's not what chaplains do. I say, let me find you a priest. Let me make that connection to help you facilitate your faith. Now, it gets really interesting because I also do that for non-Christian faiths. If someone comes to me and says, hey, chaplain, I'm a Wiccan, and I'd like a place to, to do services, I have to facilitate for them if I'm doing my job as a chaplain. And there are some people that are just like, oh, like that, that's a huge issue. And, and it's, it's an issue. I, I, don't, I don't argue that. But in doing my job as a chaplain and facilitating, I've had the opportunity to witness to people in a way that most would not be able to. I had a Muslim one time that he came to me, it was Ramadan, he was in the brig, and I ensured that his faith was actually, that the brig was working to provide his faith in accordance with its tenets. And in doing so, he came to me, he said, he said you're the first, I've had six chaplains, six Christian chaplains, you're the first one ever to actually help me do this, do this thing. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm called by God to be a chaplain, and one of my duties to be a good chaplain is to facilitate. And so in order to honor Jesus Christ, I have to help you do your faith, even though I disagree with it and I think you're wrong. And he said, tell me more about this Jesus Christ. And six weeks later, he was a Christian. All right, so, so it, 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 it's, a, it's a unique opportunity in the way that it takes place. The last thing that chaplains do is we advise. We advise throughout the chain of command. And what this means is that we hold people accountable to policy. We hold policymakers accountable. I'm the only person other than the, the XO, who's the second in command, and the senior enlisted leader. Uh, I'm the only person that can walk into the captain's office or the commanding officer's office and say, sir or ma'am, you're doing it wrong. Now, you got to imagine that's kind of like a mid-level manager going to the CEO of a big company and walking in and be like, hey, you know that policy implemented? I think we need to talk. Right? So you got to be very careful in how you do that. And so that's, that's one of the things that we do. But we, we advise leadership throughout the chain of command. So that's a little bit about what I do in the Navy. But I want to be very clear that this isn't just about Kermit. Because if I was really to, to tell you about the things that I've done and some of the highlights of my ministry, I have to include my family. And they're going to shoot me. I can't mention names right. Oh, I'm a dollar. But I'll just say my family, right? 
Um, and, and we've done things together as a family. We've hosted uh, Christmas parties when the command didn't have any money. Like, like aunts and uncles of, of, of the Jones family and, and Cunningham and Hill family all came together and hosted a Christmas party for 2,000 Marines. Uh, one summer at Officer Candidate School, uh, my wife baked 10,000 chocolate chip cookies. That was the correct number. 10,000 chocolate chip cookies. I took three to every candidate out in the field. And uh, actually, two months ago, I was talking to a guy, and I said, hey, he's like, I'm in the Marine Corps. I'm like, oh, when did you go to OCS? He goes, I went to OCS in like 07. I said, oh, do you have a chaplain there that told a bunch of Chuck Norris jokes? <laughs> I thought that would be what I remembered before. He goes, and the chaplain's wife baked cookies for everyone in the field? And I'm like, yep, that's me. And he goes, tell her thank you. I'm like, you're welcome. Like, anyway, so. Uh, but, and, and then we've hosted Vacation Bible School. Uh, host vacation Bible school for 210 kids with 17 volunteers. Like, things like that that we, we like to do as a family. And so, so my family has been a large part of that and supported me. And that's true for a lot of service members, that they would not be able to serve and do what they do if it was not for the support of their families and their churches and their communities. And that's something that we really need to, to remember as we go through. Now, my, my, my testimony, a short version of my testimony is this. I wasn't always a chaplain. Uh, I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1998. I was a surface warfare officer. Uh, that means that basically I'm the cool guy who drove ships and like shot missiles and stuff. Yeah, sounds really cool in the movies. Uh, I, I was that guy. <clears throat> and then I resigned my commission, started over again as an ensign, and uh, came into the chaplain candidate program, went to seminary and did all that stuff. And so uh, fast forward a few years in the chaplaincy, was having a blast. There's this interesting thing in the Navy. If you don't promote, they invite you to leave. And uh, they gave us two looks. And every other year they've given extensions, but in 2012, they didn't. And so I was on a ship uh, in Japan, and the commanding officer was fired, and the, the actual article, like UCMJ issue, was cruelty and maltreatment to the crew. I've been on there for a year. I've cried like twice in my career. That was one of them. And, uh, and so that, that CO was fired, and... I came back to the States and I went to the brig and on staff. <laughs> so I get to the brig and my promotion came up. Well, it turns out that that commanding officer that had gotten fired, that I was a large part of that firing, was best friends with a very senior chaplain. The senior chaplain, the chief of chaplains. And oddly enough, I didn't promote. You know, it's a shock, right? And what happened was, things. But what really happened was on Monday night, uh, August 13th, we had just conducted vacation Bible school. I was talking to a fellow chaplain and I said, hey, what's your game plan for life? And he said, now realize I feel called to be a chaplain. It is my number one thing. This is what I think God wants me to do. I've got six months to get out or, you know, well, at this point I didn't know. And I said, he said, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait and see what the church offers. And if the check isn't big enough, I'll probably stay in the chaplain corps. Now, I'm not a violent person. But I kind of wanted to, you know, anyway. So the next morning, the results came out. And it was my second look. In the first scan, I didn't see my name. And on the second scan, I saw his name. And he got to continue in the chaplain corps, and I didn't. And you want to talk about anger and pain and, and doubt and all these emotions that rushed forward, trying to figure out what was going on. And the next day, I was actually counseling a prisoner who claimed to be innocent. I know that's a shock to you, right? 18 months later, he was actually acquitted of all charges. He actually was innocent. I didn't know that at the time. 
And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, you're, you're complaining about all this stuff going on in your life, and you're all angry and pissed off and whatever. I said, but let me ask you something. Do you believe God is sovereign? And he said, yeah, why? I said, well, if you, want to, if you believe God is sovereign and you want to get angry with where God has put you in life, it means you think you can plan your life better than he can. Is that a statement you're willing to make? And as the words came out of my mouth, the conviction was so strong that I was stunned into silence. And about 30 seconds later, the prisoner gets up and comes over to the couch and puts his arm on my shoulder and says, Chaplain, are you okay? It's like, this isn't how this is supposed to go. But I do believe God is sovereign. And uh, this is a, a message for another time, but I call it my, the Joseph Syndrome. And it basically says that you don't know if you're the favored son, you don't know if you're in the bottom of a well, you don't know if you're in Potiphar's house, if you're falsely accused, if you're helping people out with dreams, if you're Pharaoh's, number two in Pharaoh's court, and saving your family and, and giving birth to a nation. All you know is to remain faithful because God is sovereign, and he's got it. And sometimes you're in the bottom of the well, and sometimes you're in Pharaoh's court, but our part is simply to remain faithful. And to understand that that's what God is calling us to. And, bro and Joseph's brothers later on, towards the end, uh, when their dad died, they all got together. And they, and they said this statement. They said, you know what? Uh, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they made up a story. And they went to Joseph and they said, hey, Joseph, like, dad said you should be nice to us before he died. And do you know what Joseph's response was? Joseph's response was very simple. You meant evil against me but God meant it for good. So it doesn't matter what's going on in our life, doesn't matter what's going on in our world. What matters is if we understand that God is sovereign, no matter what, he will be glorified. And whatever man means for evil, God means for good. And if I were to sum up my testimony, that's it in a nutshell. Now, there's been a lot of things that have happened since then. And I'm, I'm very thankful. But it, it does beg the question, where does that take us? It takes us to what's our purpose. And I want to ask you this morning, what's your purpose? Why are you here? What's your testimony and how do you enact that? We're going to look at a few different things as we talk about that. Since that conversation a decade ago, God's continued to work in my life, for which I'm grateful. I've done two mobilizations. Obviously, I promoted because I got to stay in the Navy and the reserves and some things there. Uh, my bio mentions leader development and executive coaching. I work with people to help them gain clarity on who they are, but mainly who God is calling them to be. Because if we understand what God's got in store for us, even if we can't see everything, we know our purpose and our why, we know that he is working because he's sovereign in everything that he does. And I'd like us to explore this morning what that looks like. Now, as a reservist, we walk with a foot in two worlds. And this is something that a lot of people really don't comprehend. See, we have our normal job where we go to work and we do our nine to five. And then we have this literally a second job that takes a one weekend a month and two weeks out of a year. And if you think that that's all the time it takes to be a good reservist, you're mistaken. It takes a lot more than that. What I really love is when I would be at work and I'd come back after two weeks of being on active duty and they'd be like, oh, well, Kermit was on leave. How was your vacation? It's like, I was working. What were you doing? Or how was your weekend? Well, I was working. What'd you do? Like, like that goes on and on. I had a... Had a, a a mentor once told me that you'll never be able to serve two masters well. And he's right. You can't be the best employee and be the best reservist. 
there's always a sacrifice. And if your job or your reserves isn't taking the hit, isn't, isn't taking the sacrifice, it's probably going to be your family. So when you talk to people that are in the reserves and they're dealing with this, they're always juggling these balls of work, reserves, and family, and trying to figure out how to balance them in such a way that they can succeed at both so that they can do their job and work as into God, not as into man, but also serve their country and answer that calling. Now in the Navy, we have this interesting thing that takes place. I've been to a couple of dozen countries, and before every country that we go to, we have a port call brief or liberty brief. And the literary brief is kind of funny sometimes, because what they do is they say, okay, we're going into this country. These are the basic rules you need to be aware of. Don't break these rules. In one country, uh, it's called outraging the modesty. If you look at a woman incorrectly, they can actually accuse you and you get sent to prison. And I'll never forget, we were all sitting on a train one time and this really attractive girl walks on board and all, like there's five of us, we all go. <laughs> no one wanted to outrage the modesty, right? So we learn these rules of things that are taking place. We learn the basics. Doc will show some disturbing images to kind of help scare people in the straight and narrow. And, uh, it, but we're always reminded at the end of this, you don't just represent you. You represent the uniform you're wearing. You represent every sailor on this ship. You represent the United States Navy. And as a citizen of the United States of America, you represent the United States of America. God bless you. It's from the pulpit, so I really mean it. Remember who you represent. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning just a little bit. Now, I typically, when I do a message, uh, I would have skipped everything that we've just gone through. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring a little bit of what the chaplains are and, and how that ties into everything. And uh, I asked three questions of Scripture. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we look through Scripture. Now, when we ask these questions, this is something that you can do. All right, this isn't, you don't have to have some fancy degree or anything or any degree. You can do this. But the first question when we're reading Scripture is this. What does this passage teach us about God? We have to start with God because God is the author. He is the one that, that has written Scripture. When people say, oh, there's 66 books of the Bible, how many authors are there? <laughs> the answer is really easy. Guess how many authors of the Bible there are? There's one. There's one author of the Bible. That is God. And that's why the Bible doesn't contradict itself. There are places where we don't fully understand Scripture. It's interesting, though, the more you study it, the less conflict occurs because you start to see how it really works together. But the first question that we should always ask is, what is this passage teaches about God? Now, I want you to pay attention. This is in your sermon notes because you're going to help me write the sermon this morning. <laughs> you didn't know that, but <laughs> yeah, welcome to Kermit's time. Anyway, so the second question that we ask when we read Scripture is this. What does this passage teach us about man? about us, about humankind, like people in our life, because we are the recipients of God's word. We're the ones that he's writing to. There's a purpose and a reason that he has written this to us to give us this basic instruction before leaving earth kind of thing, right? This Bible and what takes place. And the third question that we ask is, how can we apply it to our lives? Because if we're not applying scripture, we're doing it wrong. The whole purpose of reading scripture of getting a verse of the day on your Bible app is, is to look at it and ask, wow, what's God trying to say? What am I learning about what I need to do and how do I apply this to your life? Those are the three questions. So those three questions we're going to look at and, and you're going to help me answer them as we go through our passage this morning. So our passage this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. We're going to put it up, up front for you. Uh, and it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, 
and the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the three questions that we ask. When you see this passage, and look, you can take some very low-hanging fruit here. Take the low-hanging fruit. That's what I'm going for, right? You don't have to raise your hand. Just shout it out. I'll, I'll try and get to a few people. But what does this passage teach about God? Now, let me tell you. Let me give you a really easy one, right? Verse 19 says God. Oh, no, go back. Sorry. God was reconciling the world to himself. So what does this teach me about God? This teaches me that God is the one doing the reconciling. You see how easy that is? Like, it says it, and you just say it. So what else do you see here? <laughs> people get tripped up, I'm telling you. People are like, wow, you really just want the easy answers, don't you? Yes, I just want the easy answers. So what is this passage, and you read this, what does it teach you about God? And by the way, let me, let me, let me give you another context. The longer you take, <laughs> the longer we sit here. <laughs> I got all day, people. I'm just looking for two or three answers, so just you just like load these in the chute. You know what questions are coming, right? So what does this passage teach you about God, though? What do you see here about him? Forgiving. What's that? Forgiving. forgiving? Yeah, he, he is forgiving, right? He's reconciled that, and we're going to talk about what that word means specifically, but it means that there's forgiveness taking place, and God is doing it. Yes, what else? Excellent. God is love. Okay, God is love. So he loved us, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. That's good. What else? And, and, and take it directly from our text. God has a plan, right? He's doing this thing. Clearly, he's doing it according to a, his purpose, right? And there's a plan that takes place. He's making his appeal through us. Like, literally, God is making his appeal through us. Like, see, Bobby just nailed it. He could put quotes around it, right? I mean, so, right. So, yeah. He's making his appeal through us. Somebody over here had one. I missed it. Oh, what'd you have? We are a part of his plan, right? He's in, okay. That's a great segue to the next question. Uh, for God, I would say God includes us in his plan. And then for man, what's it teach about man? We're a part of it, right? So what does it say about man? By the way, you can take all those things that you just said about God, now convert them to the man side, right, and some things. What does this passage teach us about man, about people? What's that? We are ambassadors, directly from the quote, right? We are to make the appeal. I'll just, I'm going to take Bobby's answer, like, right off, the, right off the bat there. What else about people do you see here? We need to be reconciled. Excellent. What's the second part of that? Um, what's that? We have been reconciled. Okay, that's better. I, I like that one. And then, and then go, to, go to the end of verse 19. 
He trusts us to give the message of reconciliation. We have a message that we're supposed to be. When you have a message, guess what you're supposed to do with it? You're supposed to share it with someone, right? You're supposed to give it to the people that it's entrusted to. All right, so that's great. Uh, one more on man. One or two more on man. We are ambassadors for Christ. Excellent, right? That's what we are called to be as, as human beings. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Add some action verbs to this. You guys are, you guys are nailing it, by the way. Doing great. We tell others about Christ, right? That's literally, and we're going to get to this in a second. You're ahead of my sermon. It's okay. It's point three, sub point two, sub carrier three C, but you're there, right? We should be telling others about Christ. We should be delivering the message that's been entrusted to us, this message of reconciliation. Excellent. What else? I'm sorry. I, don't ha I didn't put my hearing aids in this morning. We become the righteousness of God. It's right there at the end, at the end of verse 21, right? Through him, because of what God is doing, we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody over your head, one. Oh. <laughs> We're elbowing people now. Okay, all right. One more on, on application. What do you see here? We're a new creation. Now, that's actually probably the answer to number two is like, what does it teach about man? We're a new creation. But how do we apply that to our lives? Act like it. You know, a lot of times when we deal with mindset, how we show up has a lot to do with it. So if you walk in the door and you say, like, uh, I'm just not worth it. If you show up and say, you know what, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm being made the righteous of him. I have a message of reconciliation. You say that every single morning when you wake up, that's going to change your day. And that's how we apply scripture to our lives. So great job. Give yourselves a hand, right? Come on. And we're going to jump right in to point number one. And somebody's already pointed this out on the front row, and I think somebody else, right? Point one is this. As a Christian, you are an ambassador. If you're looking for a title for your business card, you have permission as of this morning to take your business card and write on there, ambassador for Christ. It's okay. You want to talk about a conversation starter, just put ambassador on there and make them ask, like, what are you ambassador of? Well, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Got a problem with that? No, you don't ask it quite like that, right? So the question is, what's an ambassador? Now, I, I went to the almighty Google. That's almighty with a lower A and G, capital G on Google. And this is what Google tells me an ambassador is. Google says, <laughs> it's an accredited, it's a noun, it's an accredited diplomat sent by a country or sovereign as its official representative to a foreign country. That's what it means to be an ambassador. You belong to one country. They send you to another country to represent your home country. Right? And we understand this, and we, see, we know what ambassadors kind of do. There's ambassadors in Washington, and, and they represent their country with culture. And we send ambassadors to other countries to represent foreign interests, U.S. interests in foreign culture type stuff. That's what it is. Now, if you'll permit me, we're going to come back to the definition of what is an ambassador towards the end of this. Uh, and I want to move to, to the next, to the next, next uh, observation that we see. And, and you guys already pointed this out when we asked the question. You, excuse me, have been reconciled. All this is from God, right? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, get, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against us. Now, what is this word reconcile? And my Greek is rusty. But the pronunciation of the word is something along the lines of katalasso. 
And katalasso is a very interesting verb because they took two verbs distinct and they smudged them together and they said, hey, this is a new word. It's kind of like English. We just make stuff up, right? And the word kata means to be against or according to. And alasso is a verb that means exchange or transform. So it means that you're transforming the against. You're taking something that was against and you're converting it and transforming something else. And, and we, would, we, would, we would reword that to say we're restoring something to harmony. And this is, if, if we were looking for a single word that, that depicted like what the gospel message is and what God is doing in our word, Catalasso is probably a good candidate. That God is taking those of us who are against and he is transforming us through his spirit into something different for. He's transforming us to himself and the world to himself. And I love this passage because God is reconciling the world. He is the one that is acting. It's not up to us. You and I don't have to worry about whether or not we can do it. God's doing it, and he does it to us too. And he says that, that you have been given the message of reconciliation. Verse 18, right? Uh, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And you guys already mentioned this, right? Catalasso means to restore to harmony, and that's our message. To restore to harmony the relationship with God. Not only does he do it to us, but he wants us to help do it with others. To take this message out to other people. We've been reconciled, we're given this message, we're restored in our relationship with Christ, through Christ to God, and we are to seek restoration with others that is literally the gospel message that we recognize sin separates us from God we go to God his spirit comes in and, and we ask for forgiveness we accept that relationship he, he he transforms the againstness into something that's in harmony with him and then we are to do what we're to go and tell others about that we're to go make disciples and we talked about that over the past few weeks about missions and we talked about the great commission you know, the Great Commission, go ye therefore make disciples. The only imperative in there is to make disciples. It actually translates like, as you're going, make disciples. That's the exclamation point. So we should be doing this uh, in our message of reconciliation to others. Verse 30 starts with this therefore. Now, I learned this in seminary, and I've never forgotten it. It's been two decades. Whenever you see a therefore, can y'all finish this one? When you see a therefore, always ask what, what the therefore is there for. It's like really confusing, but it makes sense, right? So what's the therefore, therefore? The therefore says, in light of this, in this message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal to us, uh, through us. And, and the appeal is this, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the appeal. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is appealing. God has done everything needed in Christ to bring us into harmony with him, positionally. And what Paul is appealing to here to the people is that individual believers must choose to bring their daily life and attitude into harmony with God also. That's experientially. So it's not that we just get to sit back and put it on cruise control and not do anything. God is calling us to action. He is calling us into a relationship. He's, he's, he, he's calling us to persuade other believers to make the choice for themselves and for us to make that choice for ourselves. That we choose joy. That we choose worship. And by the way, worship is not an hour on Sunday morning. Worship is not like the music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is an attitude that we have in everything that we do that we dedicate it to God. Paul has a message that he's an ambassador for and he says that you also have been given this message. 
So we know that we are fellow ambassadors with Paul, right? That's what Paul is calling us to here. That's what we see here. And before we move on, I want to return to the question, what is an ambassador? So, I mean, specifically, what do ambassadors do? So I know I gave the Google source earlier, but I wanted to go to a bit more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, A bit more authority on a source. So I went to Webster's. The old Webster's, too. This one's like the... The pre-we-made-a-bunch-of-changes Webster's, right? I borrowed this from the church library. Uh, it was required to check it out and give my DNA sample, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll return it, I promise. And so when we look at Webster's, Webster's gives us an interesting example. It's a little more in-depth about what an ambassador is. And it says this. It says that an ambassador is an official envoy, especially a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government, that's the one back where they're from, or sovereign, or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. Now, that sounds really fancy. And I'm going to tell you that that's a great definition of an ambassador, but you know what else that's a great definition of? That's a great definition of a Christian. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't even catch it until I read through it like the third time. I'm a little slow, right? And I looked at it and I thought, huh. So let's break it down. I, I kind of highlighted some stuff so you can see what this is. It says that it's a diplomatic, a, uh, diplomatic agent, right? We're told in Romans 12 to be at peace with all men, right? Uh, whore what is evil, hold fast, bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. So... The Christian ambassador is a diplomatic agent. Can you think of a better thing for a diplomat to do than if someone's in trouble, they help them out? Can you think of a better representation of a country than that? That's what we're called to be as a diplomatic agent. Highest rank, Romans 8 tells us, the Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs to everything because of our relationship with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ in all of this. I'm pretty sure that's about the highest rank you can get that can be appointed. We, we see sovereign, right? That God is the one that's doing the cataloss. God is the one that's sovereign. We see resident representative. We are in the world, not of it. We are supposed to live in the world, but we have our own set of values that God has instilled in us, and we are supposed to live those out in the world around us. We are resident representatives, right? We have a special mission. He entrusted us the message of reconciliation. That's our mission that we're there for. The Great Commission. We are temporary, and I'm thankful to say, like temporary assignment, right? I'm thankful to say that we are not here forever, that we have something better coming. But you are an ambassador. And an interesting thing about ambassadors is they are foreigners in the land in which they reside. Their citizenship lies elsewhere. And that's something that we need to always remember. It lies with their home country. They showcase that culture. Philippians 3 Verses 17 through 21 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. God is not just reconciling you and I. He is reconciling all of creation because he has the power 
to do so. And it's a reminder that as a Christian, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador. Well, what are you ambassador of? Well, I'm actually a citizen of another country, another world even. And people may look at you like a little crazy at first, but right, it's a great opportunity to have that discussion. We're to be in the world, not of it, physically present, but not adhere to its values. And, and there's a caution that comes with this. And the caution is this. You are an example to those around you. Part of what we should be doing is also following the example of others, but you are an example. Paul says in verse 17 of the Philippians passage, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, right? And this is right after Paul has given his credentials, right? I mean, he says that I'm, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, that's the law of Pharisee. Paul's like, hey, I got all these qualifications. By the way, I count them all as nothing compared to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Like, like... Paul's, right? And, and it's interesting, but he's saying, like, follow an example. And he says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So what is that truth? Paul's echoing an appeal here that we see in our Corinthians passage. It's an appeal for believers to live in a manner that honors God. When you're reconciled in your relationship with him, you then live like you're in a relationship with God. Because you're an example. Now, here's the thing. You don't have a choice. And maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification, right? You don't, you don't really get a choice. And, and maybe a more accurate way to put it would say, you don't get to choose if you're an example to others. You only get to choose what type of example you are to others. The good news is this. We can choose a renewing of our mind. We can choose to take every thought captive to Christ. We can choose, like in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We can choose to use that filter. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what's it say? The God of peace will be with you. Now, right before that, he said it's the, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. We've all heard the statement that you may be the only church someone sees. Look, you may, go to, you may go to work with someone that hasn't darkened the door of a, foot, a, a doorstep of a church in years, decades, ever, but they know you go to church, and they're watching you. And could you imagine the example it would set if they saw someone who had the peace of God that surpassed all understanding? If they saw someone who, as far as they were able, was at peace with all men? If they saw someone that when their enemy was thirsty, they gave them something to drink, and they, they, they acted kindness, and they didn't repay evil for evil, but they repaid with good. You don't have a choice if you're going to be an example, but you do have a responsibility. Philippians 3.17 says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, right? Paul says, join in imitating me. Well, I mean, that's a bit prideful, isn't it, Paul? Hey, guys, look at me and follow my example. But he says it in context, right? In context of 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 16. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. As parents, we have an obligation to our children to set an example. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, and your translation might say 10,000 guardians in Christ, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then be imitators of me. What Paul's saying is, look, you have a lot of people looking out for you. A lot of people that are looking out for you. 10,000 guardians, countless people. But you only have one person has the responsibility of a father, and that's me. 
and I'm looking out for you, and what you see me do, do. We have to be able to turn to our kids and say, hey, the way you see me worship, worship. The way you see me act, act. The way you see me treat others or talk about them behind their back, that's how I want you to treat others and talk about them behind their back. The hardest thing that I can do as a father of four daughters is to turn to my daughters and say, when you grow up, I want you to marry a man like me. Because I know that I miss the mark on a regular basis. But that's what God's called us to do. He calls us to take responsibility for those around us. To take responsibility for those in the gospel of Christ. We're, we're called to be responsible citizens of the kingdom. A good example worthy of imitation. Imitation. And invitation, I guess, if we're going there. But as a Christian... You are a new creation. This is the beautiful thing about it is, is we think, oh, I'm not worth following. You know what? You are because you are a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, we see that you are holy and set apart. And holiness is only a possibility for the Christian. It's not just a possibility. It's actually a requirement. Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The difference between God and us is that he is inherently holy and we're not. We can only be holy in a relationship reconciled through Jesus Christ. First Peter 1 says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And the pursuit of holiness does not end when we come to Christ. That's when it just begins. The fancy word for that is sanctification. But it means that we are set apart for God's purpose. We are called to be salt, called to be light, called to be a city on a hill, called to be living stones. We're a royal priesthood that's called out of darkness. Those are the things that he calls us to. And if you want to take that, that line there, you are holy and set apart, you can actually line through those two things and at the end just write that you are to be saints. Did you know that you're saints? Paul doesn't say... Yeah, I know. I, well, Bobby, but Paul doesn't say to the sinners saved by grace at Ephesus. Paul says to the saints at Ephesus, to those who are reconciled that God has reconciled, to those who are in a relationship with Christ that, that he is enabling to become holy, you are saints. You are the example for others to follow. Don't lead them astray. But the interesting thing about that is you have freedom. Now, we talked about freedom this morning. I could have done a whole message on freedom. We're going to just cover it briefly. You have freedom, but you do not have diplomatic immunity. You know, we see it in the movies where these people, like, I can carry a bomb through the airport because I've got diplomatic immunity. Like, right? It doesn't quite work like that. Now, we have an immunity to a degree. Satan can't touch us when we, when we belong to God. But Romans tells us, 8, 8, 1 and 2 says, if there's, if there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We see in 2 Corinthians, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have a freedom from all, we, we are permitted. Look, do you realize that you were actually free from the Ten Commandments? Like, following them or not doesn't determine whether or not you get into heaven. And some people are like, wait, what? I'm not saying you should go break all the Ten Commandments. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the blood of Christ supersedes all of that. And you are free in him to do whatever you want. But whatever you want should be aligning with what God wants for you. That's where it becomes key for us to understand. 
Your citizenship should be as obvious as being a tourist. Now, you guys know what a tourist looks like, right? A tourist is a person that has like a really big floppy hat and they've got a backpack on and what are they walking around with? A camera, right? And so I was trying to find a great picture one and this is what I came up with, right? So you want to be as obvious... <laughs> you want to be as obvious as being a tourist that when, when you're walking through, people look at you and go, you're not from around these parts, are you? <laughs> and you say... Actually, no. Here's my card. I'm an ambassador. ambassador. My citizenship is elsewhere. Like, yeah, I'm a tourist. I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, trying to spread the culture of where I'm from. And then people ask the question, like, so be as obvious as, as, as a tourist when you're living. John 13, uh, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you have a peace that surpasses all understanding about you, if you are at peace with all men, if you are a light to the world, if you are acting as salt, if you are a royal priesthood, if you are doing all these things, it's going to be obvious that you're different. It's going to be obvious that you're not from around these parts. And by the way, I've been here for two months. I've already had like four people ask me that. You're not from around here, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not. But I don't have a good Alabama accent yet, so I'm working on it, right? Let's bring this to a close. As, Chris, as, as a chaplain, I often walk in two worlds. I'm, I'm, in the Navy, we have, a, we have our rank on our right collar and a cross or our, our religious emblem on the left collar. And we always talk about how we're trying to balance the collars is what takes place. And there are times when there's a different priority that takes place in my world, in, in the military, uh, the Navy has this wonderful saying that I love to just mess with leaders with. It says, mission first, sailor always. And I go, huh, what does that really mean? Because every other person that supports sailors or, or Marines or soldiers or airmen or guardians or guardsmen or, did I get everybody? I think almost everybody. Every other person, the doc tries to fix you up to get you back into the fight. The, 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 the lawyer tries to get you out of legal to get you back into the fight. The chaplain is the only person that gets to put sailors first every single time. I put the person first every time. The mission is actually a secondary concern to me. I mean, it's important, don't get me wrong. But chaplains interview conscientious objectors. That goes against the mission, but it supports the member. And we need to remember that, that sometimes our worlds are going to collide. Your ambassadorship and representation of, this, of heaven is going to collide with the world that you're living in now. And you have to make a choice. So when you walk with a foot in both worlds, obey man's law. We, we know that we're supposed to do that unless it contradicts with God's law. We, we see very clearly in Romans that let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment ambassadors follow the laws of the country that they're in unless there's a big conflict and and our choice is simply this i'll follow man's law i won't whine about the consequences but at some point if it contradicts god's law i'm going to follow god's law because we see in acts they brought them something before the council this is peter and, and the apostles and questioned them saying we strictly charged you man's law not to say, teach in his name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with his teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. But there's a catch, and this is where it doesn't get fun. See, Paul wrote in Philippians, 
from a jail cell. How do you think he got there? You think he was following man's law? That's why he ended up in jail? That's usually not how that works. If God's law contradicts man's law and you follow man's law, don't whine about the consequences. That's an official term, by the way. Don't, no whining. Instead, rejoice. One of the major themes in Philippians is that we can choose joy regardless of circumstances. Paul wrote it from within a jail cell. Peter and the apostles at the end said when, when they called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Let me ask you, do you think they stopped speaking and preaching the name of Jesus? I don't think so. In what name does your life speak? What example do you set for the world around you? What responsibility do you take for your actions and for the relationship and actions of others? And are you discharging the duty of the office to which you have been entrusted? Because like it or not, you are an ambassador. You have been trust, entrusted with a message of reconciliation. Now maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're looking to change your citizenship. And I would invite you to do so. Because there is nothing like it in the world. You don't need a green card or a work visa. There's not even any paperwork to fill out. It's an amazing transaction. All it takes is catalasso, reconciliation. That you come to God and you say, God, I'm against the sin that I have in my life is keeping me from a relationship with you. It's keeping me from the ability to be reconciled. I'm asking you to reconcile me. That I believe that your, your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. That, that I'm entering into this relationship and I trust and confess that you're my Lord. And in doing so, God does the reconciling. Reconcile me. Transform the spirit that it was in to change me so that I can become a citizen of heaven and be an ambassador for Christ. Please pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you, most importantly, that it's not up to us, that you are the one that is doing the work. You are the one that is doing the reconciling. And we just ask that you would be with us as we go from this place, that we remember not only do we have a freedom, but we also have a responsibility. Help us to live that each day in a way that honors you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to come forward this morning, I'd invite you to come down. Uh, Brother Dick and a few others, Bobby will be down here at the front. You're welcome to come down as we close.